In the name of Jesus, amen. Millie was good at taking care of people. She was good at taking care of houses, too. Her family told me that she ironed everything. Not just clothing, but cloth, napkins, and tablecloths, and and drapes. She used to say that the beauty of a house is its order. She was a gracious hostess, brilliant cook, expert organizer. She was good taking care of people and houses. Millie was a member at our church, my family's church in St. Louis. She lived to be 98. She had a long career as a home manager for the, the local Roman Catholic diocese. She, she was the, the house manager for the bishop's residence. So she was in charge of, of uh, welcoming guests and visitors as they came, of preparing meals and serving fancy dinners for the official, official guests and events. She was good, professional, taking care of houses and people But I found out that she was not very good at taking care of her Bible. (laughs) The thing was a mess. After she died, her sister Claudia let me borrow it, let me see it. The thing was so marked up and riddled with smudges and underlinings and scribbles. I was thinking if I was going to sell this thing on Amazon as a used book. You know, you get to the point where you, you have to declare the book's condition. You can say, you know, good, excellent, like new. I couldn't have checked any of those for Millie's Bible. I know there's probably some Bibles out there that are in mint condition, pre-owned Bibles, never used, but that wasn't the case for Millie's. The most worked over section of the whole Bible was right in the middle, and the, the psalm. You open a Bible in the middle, you almost always hit the Psalms. As I paged through the Psalms of Millie's Bible, I saw that every page was marked and highlighted and scribbled on. And I noticed on the the bottoms of the pages, in this section, they were yellowed and worn. Decades and decades of fingerprints trodden over like a muddy path through the woods. Millie's Bible was not in mint condition. It was not a museum. It was a mudroom. A well-used entrance into the place where she wanted to be most. So if Millie was so good at taking care of people and houses, why was her Bible in such bad shape? We could answer that question with a story story about a, a business consultant who was working with a CEO who managed a large company, high-profile CEO. The CEO had hired the consultant to help him do better, to, to maintain and achieve peak performance with his employees, no wasted dollar, no wasted time. So the, the consultant came in and observed the CEO, and the guy was a maniac. He worked in a high-pressure environment, but more often than not, he was the source of the pressure driving his employees for peak performance. But then the consultant noticed that when the CEO was at home, 
He was a different person. He was relaxed, patient, present, funny, fun. And the consultant asked him, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, but how do you do it? How do you go from, from, from psycho businessman to super dad? And the CEO said, it's simple. It all comes down to my third space. Consultant says, what's that? He says, well, years ago, I came into my house. I open the front door. I step in, and I see my kids running. But they're not running toward me. <laughs> they're running out through the kitchen, out the back door. And I realized they were running from me. I was taking my work mindset home with me. I was trying to manage my family like I run my business. I was, I was finishing my wife's sentences because she doesn't talk fast enough. I was chewing out my kids because they weren't efficiently using the time allotted for them. And I, I realized I needed to change. I needed to do something different. And that's when I discovered that I needed a third space. And the consultant says, well, what did you do? And he says, oh, I built a private entrance into my house. You what? Well, I'll show you. And sure enough, he shows him, and he had, he had a separate private entrance from, from the driveway that went straight into his bedroom. So he could get out of his car, go through his private entrance, take off his suit, take a shower, relax, reset, reflect on the day, and then come out and greet his family. And apparently it was working for him. Now the consultant who tells this story is a guy named Adam Frazier. He's a researcher in the field of human performance studies. What helps people perform at their, their peak efficiency, their, their optimal level of performance? And, and what he'd been discovering was that the, the top performers in their field, so CEOs, world-class athletes, and the like, these were the ones who could reset from one situation to the next. They could make that, that transition, whatever it was, between the, the two plays, between two meetings. They could reflect on what just happened. They could reset and rest, and then they could enter into the, the second space. So they go from first to second space, and they, they transitioned in this third space. And this conversation with the CEO helped him communicate this idea to a wider audience. So he realized that not everybody has the cash flow to build a private entrance into their house. But he believed that every person could find this third space mentally or emotionally or spiritually, a place to reflect on what just happened, reset, and then step into the next situation, a place that you could go to in a moment, in an instant. He knew that not everybody could build a private entrance into their house, but he believed that everybody could find this third space. Now, it's just a new name on an old practice. Whatever you want to call it, third space, contemplative spirituality, people have been doing it for years. Millie did it. The ancient people, the people of ancient Israel, did it. They practiced this. And it became especially important for them, this, this practice, when they lost their physical worship space. The physical worship space that they had lost was the temple. 
in Jerusalem that was built by their high-profile CEO, King Solomon. The temple was the, the physical space where they could enter into the presence of the living God, into a life-giving relationship with God. The God who had created the universe, the God who had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, the God who had called them to be priests, to be go-betweens, people who could bring other people into the presence of God, into that life-giving relationship with God. And the temple was the place where they could enter into the presence of God. But what happened over time is that the people of Israel started treating that temple like their private entrance, their private property. The temple became their, their idol, their, their inanimate, lifeless God. And so God, the true God, to help them reset, took the temple away. He sent a foreign army to destroy it. And it was at this time in Israel's history, in Israel's life, when this collection of poems, right in the middle of our Bible, known as the Psalms, became especially important for them. They discovered that this could be the place. They could enter the presence of God through these poems. So the Psalms, they're a collection of 150 poems. They are words to God, human words spoken to God, poems spoken about God, but Jewish people and Christian people have received them as more than just human words to God. They are God's words to us, to bring us into his presence. Jesus used the Psalms in this way. You remember? At least two times when he was being crucified, he took up Psalms to rest, to remember who he was, where he'd come from, and why he mattered. Psalm 31 and Psalm 22 are the two that we know that he took up. While he was being crucified, exiled, cut off from his community, cut off from the physical temple, Jesus entered into the presence of God through the Psalms. And the Christian church has been doing this, following him, for 2,000 years. Millie did it. And we use the Psalms in this way because Jesus is the Son of God. And when God raised Him from the dead, He made His body, His body, the fellowship of believers, the eternal temple. The place where there is life with God. Sometimes when people think about life after this life, you know, whatever it is that comes after this mortal life, the afterlife. Sometimes they think about it like a place, right? You hear, you hear people say, oh, she's in a better place. Well, at least he's not suffering anymore. He's in a better place. And if that is a place, then God must be something like the, the gatekeeper. And, and Jesus is his bouncer. And if you don't know the password, if you don't know the code, if you can't say the formula, then you don't get into the place. And if you don't get into the good place, you go to the, the bad place. This is the picture that our culture has of Christian faith, but it is not the biblical picture. In the Bible, God is the place. 
He's not guarding the place. He is the place. Being in the presence of God is the goal. And Jesus isn't isn't the bouncer. He isn't standing in the way. He is the way. And the truth. And the life. The resurrection and the life. Jesus came to bring us into the presence of God. And he can do this because he's the son of God. He came to save us from eternal separation from God. And if I ignore him, if you brush him aside, if we close the door that he has opened by his death and resurrection, it's not so much that we get sent to a bad place, it's that no place can be good without him. Without Jesus, there's nothing left but hell. Millie knew that. And that's why her Bible was in the condition it was in. Millie's Bible wasn't a museum, it was a mudroom. A well-used entryway into the place where she most wanted to be. In the presence of God. It's like we heard in the psalm, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul longs, no faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God, says the poet. Now, in in Millie's Bible, those words are highlighted, underlined, annotated, In the margin next to it, she wrote, my favorite. Psalm 84, that's Millie's favorite. But then you turn a couple pages and she writes, again, another favorite of mine. (laughs) And you turn some more, she's like, my other favorite. My heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. What it means is, is is that God himself is the source of all contentment and happiness and blessing and order and beauty and hope and peace and love and life. Life that not even death can separate us from. Life for you in Jesus. And you can make the Psalms your own prayers. Just like Millie made them hers. Because Jesus has made us his. The Psalms are your mudroom, your entrance into the, the life-giving presence of God. Use them. I knew Millie was a prayer warrior, but I didn't know how until I read her prayer journal. Her sister Claudia let me borrow her prayer journal and she let me use her Bible. I open up the journal and, and there are lines and lines and lines of psalms that she had copied down by hand, verses she wanted to remember and hide in her heart. And then she turned the page and there are lines and lines and lines of prayers, her own prayers that she had written, informed and inspired by the Psalms. And then there are lines and lines and lines of names 
142 lines of names. And some of the lines had five or six names squeezed in the middle of them. Hundreds of people that she prayed for every morning. There were names from people from from decades ago. People that she'd known in other workplaces and neighborhoods where she'd been. There were names of people in my church there. My name was there. My family's names were there. Millie was good at taking care of people, and this is how she did it best. When I think of peak human performance, I don't picture a world-class athlete or a CEO or a consultant. I see Millie there in her third space. Her Bible turned to the Psalms, her prayer journal open, resting, remembering, delighting in the presence of God and bringing us all with her. You want to go there now? Let's go. Let's pray. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, faints for your courts, O Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Lord, bring me deeper into your presence, closer to you, and teach me to pray like Millie. In the name of Jesus, amen.